Meditation is an intense act of love for God. It is the continuous sending of a current of love energy to God in an unbroken way until a connection with that source of your being is established and the flow then begins to return from the source to you. But so long as there is a sense of being different from God, it is the creature who owes God love, not the other way around. It is the creature, the ego, that needs God. God does not need us. And because God is the source not only of our being, but all goodness, God is deserving of love. Without God, there is no life. There is no consciousness. There is no existence. Existence has turned bad has turned evil in the human sphere because we have forgotten and we have even rejected belief in God and we have lost our knowledge of God. So when we meditate and send love to God we have to know where we are sending it. It cannot be to some imaginary God. If it is you will only get a bit of imaginary energy back. It has to be to that God which is real. And that aspect of God that can be communicated with directly. Therefore, it is God as situated within, as the very self of yourself, the nucleus of the nucleus, the core of your heart, your essence, the essence of love itself. This act of love is what is called devotion. But the proof of its being devotion is its unbrokenness. If your thought of God is intermixed with the thought of having a pizza, it won't get you very far. You might get a pizza in return, but you won't get God's love. So that love for God must be sustained and not intermixed with desires of the phenomenal world or fears of the phenomenal world. It must be based in trust of God and in recognition that this is the source of salvation, of redemption, of purification of our being. In fact, the very willpower that is needed to reach God can only be given by God. This is what makes meditation so hard and makes people believe it's a catch-22. 
because the ego mind is so dispersed and scattered, it has no willpower to sustain a loving intention toward God. And so therefore, the first phase of meditation must be a prayer for God to give you the power to meditate to reach God. <coughs> and when that prayer is wholehearted, then the willpower to be able to then actualize the desire for God consciousness will be given. But there must be a sufficient amount of will that wants to surrender the ego's pseudo-autonomy and separation from God and its right to desire other things than God in order to be worthy of receiving what God has to offer. Because God will not give us what we don't really fully want. And if one part of us wants God, but the other part of us really wants the pizza, well, God is gonna wait until we've had our pizza and we're sick of it until God gives us what we want when we realize we didn't really want that pizza or anything else on the phenomenal plane that we think we prefer to the real of God's presence. And any desire for an object in the world of whatever sort is an obstacle to the realization of God who is completely non-objective. In the ancient world, it was recognized that there was a bifurcation of the real between being and appearance. Anything that appears in the world, therefore, is not. Appearance means illusion. What is, has being does not appear in the world. But it has flipped completely in the postmodern period in which only that which appears seems real to the postmodern ego. And anything which can't be grabbed onto is not real. This is the complete opposite of the way that every philosophical tradition for the last 5,000 years, including the Western tradition, has understood being. That which has real being does not appear as an object in the world. It is the source. The objects are the shadow of being, the reflection but being itself is that which sends that shadow. It is the light, but when the light hits the mirage of the physical plane and we have appearances, that is a step removed from the source. It has no being, it is a flux. And its reality must be interpreted by the human consciousness, which is given the power to discern between that which is real and that which is illusion. It's based on using that discernment accurately that we live a life of purity and empowerment. But when we choose the illusion over the real, that is what is called in Christianity the original sin. We have desired the creation and the creatures of that creation rather than the creator. And by shifting our allegiance from the source to the mere effect, then we lose the power 
to be co-creators of the universe. And we end up as part of that flux of appearance and disappearance. And therefore we enter into the duality of life and death. And once we are under the power of death, because we have identified with these bodies, which are objects, which have nothing to do with our being, nor the being of God, then the fear of death, the fear of pain, the fear of suffering, the fear of loss, the fear of abandonment, all the fears that the ego is plagued by come into us and keep us then from even wanting God, because then all we want is mommy. And all we want is some source of security within the field of illusion. Money, mommy and money, very similar sounds and similar addictions. And then mommy, of course, comes in all sorts of forms, a chakra one form, she comes in the form of a chakra two form, and she'll even come now in the form of a dominatrix in chakra three. You can have any flavor of mommy you want, uh, but all those flavors will keep you from union with God. And it's this delusional desire for some bodily form or some cheap thrill that is produced by a phenomenal plane. And the mistaking of the soul for the mind, for the brain, See, that's what neuroscience now does. There's a whole field of neurotheology which wants to claim that God is just some capacity that we genetically have. There's even this talk of a God gene. It's complete nonsense. But once we have become materialists and hooked into the belief that all we are is a complexity of brain activity and brain chemistry, then the, the only thing one can desire is to change the brain chemistry and thus people get caught up in the use of substances uh, in order to affect those changes which again give a cheap thrill and often a long-lasting suffering but have nothing to do with the attainment of God. And so the realization of the presence of God can only happen when our own mind is purified of identification with the object that is the organism. You have to realize that your existence preceded the birth of your body and will continue after its death. And there needs to be a complete detachment from identification with the body that you think of as your own and therefore the biography of that body and all of its traumas and all of its connections, enmeshments, biological relationships that have nothing to do with God or with real love. They have to do with an enmeshment within illusion. But it is that attachment to the illusory world that keeps us from even wanting the real. But God's reality is transcendent of this phenomenal hologram. It pervades it because it's not in some different space, but it is in a different dimension in which this space is contained. It is that higher dimensionality that consciousness can only reach when it disidentifies from the body and its three-dimensionality 
or even four-dimensionality if you include time. But it needs to reach dimensions higher than that in order to be able to comprehend what reality is, not from within the biased position of a creature, but from the position of the mind of God itself. And only that will give you an understanding of reality and therefore values that are appropriate to navigate this world of unreality. Without that compass that enables you to know how to live and gives you the power to live uh, and resist the temptations to live in a way which is impure, which will lead you into hell realms, then life becomes very difficult. But when you can live in the constant communion with God, life becomes a beautiful flow of delight, of joy, of bliss. And the body and the mind both become simple vehicles, mediums, communication channels through which the power, the healing energy, the love, the wisdom of God flow because there is no longer any interference from an ego form that wants to take both credit and blame for the reality of karma. But when it is the flow of God moving through you and activating the body and the mind, there is no sense of a separate being from God and there is no karma and there is no inaccuracy, therefore no sin, no guilt, no judgment, no fear, and life becomes beautiful and that results in a reflection of that inner beauty as a world of beauty, a world that we could call the kingdom of heaven. When a sufficient number of us reach that point of channeling that energy into this world, the hologram shifts and a new world is born. We are at that historic moment now when that transformation is happening because enough souls are awakening to the need to return to the consciousness of the source because there's no other way to save this world from technology, from politics, from social action. There's no other way. It is either hopeless or there is the miraculous power of God. But if you give in to hopelessness and despair without first checking whether there really might be God, then you're selling yourself short and you're selling the life of our planet, which is a God-given gift, short. But it is only through that revelation that's what apocalypse means, the revelation of the presence of God within you that can be attained only through meditation so that the attention turns inward toward God and feels palpably the light, the power, the energy, the reality of God that transcends this world but wants to pour into it with gifts of light and love. In India today, they're celebrating Diwali, which is the festival of light. Every religion has a festival of light, whether it's Hanukkah or the lights on the Christmas tree or it's some other holiday. But it is the festival of the light, which means the divine light re-entering into the field of darkness and bringing again a new world. That's what the gifts under the Christmas tree is, are for, what they signify, and why is there a star at the top? So we're entering the Christmas season, which is also the Diwali season and the Hanukkah season, and there's a reason for it occurring now because of also the cosmic uh, uh, precession of the equinoxes and all of that. 
But this is that moment historically when the return of the Christ as the avatar within each one of us must occur. And those who choose to surrender to the tree of life, the evergreen, the tree that never dies, will gain the immortality that that signifies and become the co-givers, the co-Santa Clauses who will give the gift of the new age and the eternal life to those seekers who are hungry, not for a pizza, but for a piece of the heavenly realm that is on offer now. So if we are going to be co-givers of that gift of eternal life, then we must first accept that for ourselves. And that's what meditation is for. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It's a matter of the intensity of your commitment to belonging to God. Meaning your thoughts belong to God, your emotions, your body, your actions, your life devoted to the highest possible mission of the purification of your being and of our world and of the souls of all of those who are suffering because of the impurity, confusion, and ignorance which causes them to create negative karma. All of this can be cleansed very easily through the knowledge and the devotion to the supreme beingness that is the essence of each of us. And this has been the timeless teaching of the sages of every tradition, East and West. And now, this knowledge is here for you to yourselves become sages who transmit this knowledge to a world in order to bring the light into this darkness and make this hell realm into heaven. So, let's do it together now.